This is Civil Discourse on Gila Mimbres Community Radio and KURU 89.1 FM. I'm your host, Jamie Newton. Today, December 1, 2021, I'm very pleased to welcome back United States Senator Martin Heinrich on Civil Discourse. It's, uh, it's always great to be with your listeners, Jamie. Our interview today takes place, Senator, in a context of multiple intersecting crises. You sustain your focus on protecting the natural environment now and for future generations. As the nation and globe are battered by catastrophic climate change, the rapidly evolving coronavirus pandemic, and heightened risks of conflict with Russia and China, along with domestic unrest and violence, and right now risk that within a couple of days, the United States government will face a partial shutdown and maybe even a default on payment of the national debt. I'd like to come back to that larger context before we conclude, but let's start with specific legislation that you're sponsoring. In October, you and Senator Roy Blunt, a Republican from Missouri, introduced the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, and you characterized the legislation as providing investment to support the long-term health of fish and wildlife habitat all across America. Please tell us how you'll achieve that goal with this legislation, and why is it important in this time of continuing antagonism between the Democratic and Republican parties that this is a bipartisan bill? It's, it's really interesting, I think, that even in this time of polarization, and uh, I think it's more appropriate than ever that, that the name of the show is Civil Discourse, given the, the kinds of conversations that we're having in Washington these days. But people in the midst of COVID in particular um, really res- re- return to the outdoors in a way uh, that spoke to a lot of different elected officials on both sides of the aisle. I mean, I think we all saw an enormous surge in outdoor recreation last year, and people really got in touch with their public lands and wildlife in a way that probably wouldn't have been possible or likely in, in any other time in in my uh, in my work history, certainly. And and I think that opened a door to be able to work uh, both on on public lands through things like the Great American Outdoors Act, um, and then also on wildlife in a way that was very bipartisan. And so that, that certainly allowed me to be able to find partners like Roy Blunt, who really support their state game and fish agencies and want to see this heritage that we have of wildlife um, preserved into the future and recognize that, you know, oftentimes we're not engaging on species conversation, on species uh, conservation until it's too late in the process. And so we saw an opportunity to fix that. I think many of our listeners share that feeling that in the context of these crises, we need the outdoors more. I know my wife and I have been going out for weekly excursions ever since the pandemic started, one a week, and we've gotten to know our area better. And of course, we all witness the impacts of what's been called the sixth great extinction. 
Can you just follow up by telling us how this bill will help to protect wildlife, fish, birds, game? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we benefit from in New Mexico is that we had leadership 100 years ago that stepped up and uh, saw a, a wildlife crisis and created tools to fix it. Uh, people like Aldo Leopold, for example, who helped found the New Mexico Wildlife Federation uh, at a time when elk were completely extinct from New Mexico. Uh, but many of those tools were designed um, around our sport fish and, and game species. And we haven't necessarily had the tools to be able to invest um, in wildlife broadly in, in all species, game and fish, but also, you know, bumblebees to bison, literally. And this legislation creates a, a sustainable funding source to do that. And it allows us to invest in the recovery of those species um, when you really have a, a longer lever to be able to make a difference. So, for example, you know, if we had been working, say, 15 years ago on the decline of the lesser prairie chicken, I don't think we would see the the um, the Endangered Species Act listing that we're facing today. And when you wait too long, it, it's much more expensive. The compliance costs are much higher. The industry costs are much higher. We need to be investing in these species before they're in really dire trouble. And that's what this act does. And it, it really has attracted an enormous amount of attention from both sides of the aisle. We've, we've literally um, have a, an incredibly long list of co-sponsors equally divided uh, among Republicans and Democrats. Senator Heinrich, in the spring of this year, you were joined by another Republican, Senator Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia, to introduce the Simplifying Outdoor Access for Recreation Act. And you said that was needed to improve the permitting process for outfitters, educational organizations, community groups. Why do we need to simplify access to outdoor areas? And will this legislation help to ensure appropriate and sustainable uses of public lands. Absolutely. And, and I can tell you from personal experience, I, I spent five years um, as the executive director of an outdoor educational organization that had, had permits uh, on both national forest land, including the Gila National Forest uh, and um, Department of Interior land ranging from BLM to Park Service all over the Southwest. And it is a Byzantine process to go through that, that permitting um, process. And it, it holds a lot of organizations that don't have the financial capacity and otherwise um, just the, um, the infrastructure to jump through all those hoops from engaging people in the outdoors and getting them out. And we just want to maintain the oversight, maintain the, the sort of mission of these um, land management agencies to protect the resources that they're in charge of, but not have multiple uh, duplicative processes and processes that are, that are oftentimes open-ended where a local business or nonprofit can't really, um, can't plan uh, to make sure that they can actually have the sort of season in the outdoors that that makes it possible for them to do their job. So this is really an effort to streamline that process, 
make sure that if people check all the boxes that they can get an outcome at the end of the day. Um, I remember one summer when I was told by a, a national forest that, oh, we, we just don't have time to process your application this year. So you're not going to be able to, to use the forest. And, and I think answers like that just they, they hold back our ability to do good education in the outdoors and to develop the outdoor recreation economy that has become so important to gateway communities like Silver City. When we've talked in the past, Senator Heinrich, you have reflected on a particular experience that you had in our own wilderness area here that strengthened and inspired your commitment to public service, to go into public life. And I think we can take it as a given that as people in this area find it easier to do what they really love doing in the outdoors, they too become more committed. With a focus on local things here, let's return to legislation that you and our other senator, Ben Ray Lujan, introduced about a month ago, the Greater Gila Wild and Scenic River Act, which you named in honor of our late friend, a friend to many of us, M.H. Dutch Salmon. Tell us about the goals and provisions of that legislation and what is its status now? So the, the Gila Wild and Scenic legislation that we've introduced is really an effort to preserve what is most unique about this watershed. Um, there are so many parts of the Colorado River watershed now where the rivers aren't so much, they're not, they're not natural living rivers anymore. And if you just go downstream uh, to Arizona, uh, once you hit some of those dams, the Gila River is largely dewatered. It's completely tamed. And it's it's more of a ditch than a river at this point. And the upper Gila, the San Francisco, still has this really dynamic hydrology that has been lost throughout most of the Colorado River watershed. And because of that dynamism, you have these amazing riparian forests with Arizona sycamore and cottonwoods. You have these incredible um, you know, bird species that, that don't really show up anywhere um, you know, this far north of Mexico, except for the Gila. And it's because of that natural system. And we, we want to see that preserved. And so many community members have really dedicated their lives to seeing that, that uniqueness preserved. And this legislation would, um, would make sure that we, we value um, what we have in the, in the sort of the kind of watershed we have today and protect it from development or, or changes that would undermine that incredible natural system. And what is the status of the Greater Gila Wild and Scenic River Act now? Um, how is its support coming? It's coming along. I mean, I'm really excited that, you know, that we have our entire Senate delegation behind this, that we've been able to, with local input, uh, improve and fine tune the legislation. And then we, you know, just recently reintroduced uh, the updated version and we'll be seeking to to make sure that the uh, Energy and Natural Resources Committee has a hearing on this legislation. So now, Senator Heinrich, some practical advice for listeners. How can constituents in New Mexico 
most effectively engage with the legislative process, participate from our level, individually, through our organizations as well, to partner with lawmakers to promote shared goals? You know, I, I find that the the type of engagement, and it doesn't really matter whether you're engaging via email or a handwritten letter or, um, you know, a, a phone call to the front desk. What is most helpful to me is to hear people's personal stories and the nexus between the policies and the laws that we create and their personal lives. Because I think that window oftentimes is most instructive about what needs to what needs to change or what is is working really well and reinforces, you know, where I should be spending my time uh, to either protect policies that are doing really good work or change policies that are not serving people's personal lives and improving their lives. Grassroots stories. We have only a few minutes left. I'd like to conclude by coming back to that larger context. There are scary things happening. I call them multiple intersecting worrisome crises. Nationally and globally, we see daily the impacts of catastrophic climate change. We've got new information now about a variant of the coronavirus that may spread very rapidly, may even have the potential to evade human immune responses. There is a possibility that within a few days, we're talking on December 1st, uh, we have a risk that there will be a partial shutdown of the United States government with impacts that people will feel and some other major um, <laughs> tragedies, really, that are being used as negotiating levers. And meanwhile, you proceed with these very basic future-oriented matters of the public's urgent business, and you manage to do that with bipartisan cooperation. So I'm giving you a kind of big question area, and I'll ask you to reflect on this in ways that help us understand what you see and how you work in this environment. I think if it's easy to get overwhelmed with the, the number of challenges that we have today, and you articulated um, some of the greatest challenges that we're facing. And I find that the most constructive way through, um, through these kinds of challenges is to bite off a, a particular piece and just start working on it until you come to a place where you can solve uh, and just you know do the work. It, it's easy to become paralyzed. And I think what's much more both efficacious, but also sort of therapeutic is to just dive into these challenges and work on individual pieces and parts until you get an additional solution that can be successful. And whether that's climate change or whether that's our, our fiscal challenges, I think that's how you get through um, these crises is by working your way through them. And, and I find that, you know, that there are still people here who are very committed to, if you can come to some sort of agreement as to good policy, 
they want to do good things. And so I, I just find that the more you can jump into the work and immerse yourself into it, rather than be paralyzed by the, the scale of the challenges, the more you get done for people at the end of the day. Well, we're able to conclude this interview on a hopeful and encouraging note. United States Senator Martin Heinrich from New Mexico, thank you so much for speaking to the listeners of Gila Mimbres Community Radio and KURU 89.1 FM in Silver City, New Mexico. It's always great to be with you. And as always, thank you for listening and for supporting Gila Mimbres Community Radio and KURU 89.1 FM in Silver City, New Mexico and streaming on the World Wide Web at gmcr.org. For Civil Discourse, I'm Jamie Newton. Be safe and well.